You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with attorney Amber James, founder of New Beginnings Family Law. New Beginnings Family Law is a family law firm in Huntsville, Alabama, serving clients with matters including divorce, child custody and support issues, mediation, adoption, and estate planning. Amber, I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Davina. I really appreciate you asking me to be on the podcast today. Well, I've been excited about meeting you. Uh, I've heard you on another podcast and got to check out your website and review some different things about you online. So I have so many questions and I want to start with, uh, you have a really interesting story uh, in your journey to becoming an attorney. And I would love it if you could share that with us. Sure. I will um, try to make it as brief as I can. Um, I started out as a little girl wanting to be a lawyer. Um, I thought I would grow up and be Perry Mason or Matlock or someone like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And along the way, um, I just kind of lost my way. Um, I let other people influence kind of what I thought about myself um, and how um, I viewed myself and what I thought I could accomplish. Um, But Mm -hmm. law had always kind of pervaded my life. You know, I had my father um, had a social security disability issue while I was in college my mom had been in a horrible 18-wheeler accident um, when I was in high school. Um, and there were you know, some other things, obviously, that touched and concerned my family. And so every time those things would happen, you know, I would get the itch to be a lawyer again, but I would not necessarily kind of follow along that path. So right. I ended up majoring in music and became a band director and taught music um, for uh, several years. Um, got my MBA because I really just didn't know it, you know, kind of floating through life. I was married to my ex-husband at the time and, and still believed, you know, that I really wasn't capable of going to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just trying to feel my way around. I was taking some government classes and um, at um, UAB where I had gone to undergraduate um, and graduate school. Um, and just one night when my professor said something to me about, you know, Amber, you really should go to law school. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't go to law school. You're nuts. You know, who's got time for that? I've got a little boy, you know, I'm married and I'm just not smart enough. I don't think I could balance all of that. And he encouraged me to really give that some more thought. And so um, at the time I was teaching gymnastics um, to little kids at preschool along Mm -hmm. with a variety of other things. And just knew that I was not doing what I was meant to do because I always had that feeling that if I was doing what I was called to do or what I was meant to do, it would be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, that night in my car on the way home, I was praying um, very fervently, asking God to tell me, you know, what it is I'm supposed to do with my life because I just felt very lost. Um, My marriage Mm -hmm. was starting to fall apart. Um, I'd had some job opportunities in a different kind of field and just, Anyway, the whole thing was just falling apart. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I prayed very fervently that night um, for guidance and felt it as clear as, you know, our conversation we're having today that I was called to go to law school and help hurting people. And I thought that, you know, for a hot minute, um, just because I'm like, really, you know, how am I going to do that? I can't afford it. 
you know, my marriage, like I said, is falling apart. I've got a little boy. There's just no way this is going to, you know, going to happen. Um, and I, but I was faithful and I followed along and I applied for law school. Um, and I got in and I applied for jobs at law firms. Um, and was hired in a very, you know, short period of time. I'm um, in a personal injury law firm because I thought, hey, I'm supposed to help hurting people. This is where I'm headed. Um, mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, that's not what I was called to do, not help um, people who are hurting physically, but people who are hurting emotionally. And so I went through my own divorce. Um, I met my current husband, who had also been through a divorce, much uglier than my own. Um, and mm-hmm. I had um, found a job working for one of the um, family court judges in Jefferson County, Alabama, and very quickly realized that you know, family law was indeed my calling. Um, that was what I was meant to do because people hurt more in family law cases, you know, both the parties and their children and their families than any um, person in a personal injury lawsuit. Other, I mean, obviously, other than when you have like a wrongful death kind of action, but mm-hmm. just the pain and agony of family law I and mean, the opportunity we have then as lawyers to speak into their lives and help them find a way to start over um, just became, you know, my calling and became what I, you know, my mission has been now for the last 13 years. Wow. Wow. So what made you decide then to open your own practice? Because you did that pretty quickly after you graduated from law school, right? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Um, almost immediately after I um, graduated from law school and passing the bar exam, um, I opened my own practice. That was not initially my plan. I uh-huh. thought, you know, having worked for one of the judges um, in the family court that one of the law firms in Birmingham would want to you know, naturally pick up somebody who'd worked for one of the judges. You know, you want that influence. Um, but that was not, um, I was not able to find a firm that was a good fit. Um, I was a mom of a kindergartner um, and a uh-huh. one-year-old at the time that I passed the bar exam and I knew it was going to be important to me to have really great work-life balance and to be able to take time off when I needed to, to raise my family. I mean, every time I would interview with a firm and talk about, you know, well, what is the work-life balance here or what are the kind of hours I'm expected to bill? um, I would always be told, you know, well, we're going to need you, you know, 60, 70 hours a week probably to get in your your 2,000 to 2,200 hours a year. um, And you know, I started doing the math, you know, if you do 40 times 52, that's 2080, I believe. And, yeah. you know, that, that told me I was never going to be able to achieve the number of hours I needed to bill and still have any kind of work-life balance. Right. And so I, I, you know, started out with a laptop and a cell phone. I'm in a friend's um, insurance agency and have grown my firm from there. You know, so it just, I worked really hard, developed a good reputation with the court and the community and thought at the time that I was just going to be, you know, the very best solo lawyer I could be. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got started. Right, right. So it was just you and a laptop and a back office and you got started that way. Yes. How quickly, yes, how quickly did you hire your first staff person? Sure. Do you remember? So when I do, when I first started practicing, I remember telling the gentleman I was renting space from that I couldn't imagine that I would need more space than what I had for at least five years. Um, But I ended up hiring my first staff person within a year. Um, I needed someone who could answer the phone. Um, And, you know, because I was in court all the time. Once I got on the appointed um, list for serving as guardian at Latham or 
serving as the representation for parents and family court, um, I was busy all the time. And so the first mm-hmm. person I had to hire was somebody just to answer the phone, process the mail, you know, and make sure those kind of administrative things were getting done. And so I hired that person within that first year. Wow. And so what was that experience like for you emotionally? Did you, were you concerned about your ability to pay them? And did you have fear around that? Or did you just think, you know, I got this? I think there's always fear around whether or not you think something's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so I did have that fear of, you know, I wasn't afraid for myself that I would not be able to get paid, even though that's really you know what our first concern as business owners should be is, making sure right. you make money. Um, I was blessed that my um, my current husband had a very wonderful, stable job that he'd had for years. And so we weren't relying on the farm income at the time. But I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that I could always you know, meet my expenses, that I wasn't asking him to you know, pour his own money into the firm um, mm-hmm. or, you know, to secure, you know, in the employment of my staff person. So I was always nervous about that, you know, trying to make sure that she was always getting paid. But, you know, Davina, I've been truly blessed in my, you know, my practice, but that's not something I've ever, you know, I've Mm -hmm. never gone a pay period where I'm sitting there wondering, am I going to have enough income to pay my staff this month? So we've been really blessed in that regard. But I think there's always kind of that fear surrounding, especially hiring that first staff person. Right, right. I mean, I know I've talked with many women law firm owners who have a lot of fear around hiring their first staff person and Mm -hmm. then fear around when it comes time to hire that first associate. (laughs) Because hiring another attorney is, you know, another layer of complexity. And and how was that for you? How long before you started hiring other attorneys? So the first associate we hired was in 2012. So that was six years in. Um, I finally realized I owned a business. Um, mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I think as lawyers, we're not taught necessarily that we're business right. owners. So we're, we're taught we run this professional practice that's kind of a, a, you know, above and beyond what a business is. And you can't be, mm-hmm. you know, can't be worrying yourself with such, you know, minute things as payroll and, you know, hiring and all those things. Um, and so it was about six years in when I realized that I owned a business. And if I was going to grow that business, I had hit the limit of what I, you know, myself and a paralegal could accomplish on our own. Um, and mm-hmm. that particular year, our business just all of a sudden grew. We went from, you know, getting an, an average number, you know, normal number of in new intakes to just more work than I could there um, in a you know, set mm-hmm. time frame. So it was time to hire our first associate. Um, and so mm-hmm. we did that in 2012. And how many attorneys do you have now? Including myself, there are now five attorneys in our firm. Okay. And how many staff people? Um, we have a total of 13 um, people in the office. So that's an additional yeah. eight staff people. So. Okay. So you've got a pretty good sized firm. Um, and Tell me, what do you think the, uh, what do you think that you've done with regard to your marketing and getting clients and growing the firm? What are some things that, you know, are there certain marketing uh, techniques that you've used or, you know, is there a philosophy you have around that? That's a great question. So I I was a very early adopter in our marketplace to having a website. I was probably the first family law attorney that had 
an actual website in our local kind of practice area. And so mm-hmm. I have a long history with Google because I've been out there for a long time. Um, and mm-hmm. so I was always dedicated to having something online um, based more, you know, more around educating the um, the consumer or the client than showing off what a great, you know, here's my resume of all the things I've done. Um, right. I think clients are out there looking for answers. Um, and they're looking for someone who is going to be authentic um, and who is going to be willing to kind of give them some of the free information that they need in order to make good decisions. Um, I think most, you know, most consumers today can really care less where you went to law school or mm-hmm. um, whether or not you're on law review or not, um, at least not in family law. Now, if you're talking about, you know, a larger firm, um, what I call big law, that might be, you know, a, a a deeper concern but when you're dealing with a family law client they just want to know do you care about your clients do you know what you're doing and are you going to be there to hold their hand along the way and so i think our marketing has always been focused around authenticity and education Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we added in video marketing a few years ago i'm in a real strategic um, and intentional way I think that's really made a huge difference because now clients, when even if they're not my particular client in the firm, um, if they're being represented by one of the other attorneys, you know, if I walk in the door, they're like, oh, Miss James, it's nice to see you. Or Amber, hey, how have you been? And so mm-hmm. they feel like they know me when they walk in the door, whether, like I said, I'm the lawyer that works with them or not. Um, and right. so I truly believe that, you know, if you're on, you know, if you own your own firm, that you really need to, you know, have that aspect of authenticity with your audience um, or your client base, as well as, you know, giving them enough information that's free that, you know, will get them on the right path, but maybe obviously not, you know, not a do-it-yourself kind of option. Enough that they come in with some level of education and know what questions, you know, they really need to ask. Right, right. I there's uh, when I was looking at your website, there were a couple of things that really caught my eye, and I wanted to ask you about them. One is, you know, just like you shared at the beginning, if the beginning of our of our conversation today, mm-hmm. your journey to becoming uh, an attorney and you know having your own firm, um, you share that story right there on the homepage of your website, there's a video of you talking about Mm -hmm. and sharing this really deeply personal story, you know? Right. Um, And what was that, what was that like for you? And what has been the response to that? Sure. Um, When my, you know, we have a firm that we use that helps us with video marketing. And when um, her name's Montina and she suggested that I, do this i thought well i don't know about all that like i share a lot of other things but you're asking me to share a very personal and deep story um and i wanted to make sure that too you know because i talk about my former husband in the um you know video to some degree and he's still living and local and you know i had to talk to him about it before i just kind of outed him um, on on the (laughs) internet in, in a certain way so it was i mean it was difficult it wasn't something i ever thought i would get that deep and that public um, because it's out Mm -hmm. there for everybody. It's out there for clients. It's out there for opposing counsel. um, It's out there for judges to see. um, But ultimately, when I really thought through it, I feel like it's a story that a lot of other people, it may may not be the exact story. It's not the story of, you know, everybody wanting to become a lawyer, but 
I think most people can relate to somebody who says, hey, you know, I went through this really rough period of not knowing who I was or what I wanted. Um, and I kept on the path until, you know, it was very clear to me who I should be and what I should do. Um, and I think it speaks to clients. Um, like I said, when clients walk in, they feel like they already know who I am, even if I've never met them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they're working with someone else in our firm. Um, the response from other lawyers is kind of mixed. You know, those who are your um, your champions or your cheerleaders or your friends, um, they think it's great. Mm-hmm. Those who are always going to be your naysayers are going to say you shouldn't have done it. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So um, ultimately, what I truly believe is that it has been one of the best things I have done for my practice because it's not the, you know, lawyer in the suit at the courthouse talking about all their accomplishments. It's, hey, this is the real me. This is who I right. am. This is how I got here. Um, you don't need to look at me as being some, you know, great and all-powerful lawyer person. I'm here to help you. You know, I'm a human right. being just like you are. I've suffered some things just like you have. Um, and, you know, together we're going to walk through this um, mm-hmm. and help you get to the other side, help you find mm-hmm. your new beginning, you know, so. Yeah, it's very relatable. It's very relatable. Mm-hmm. And it, ma- it makes you very relatable in the firm that mm-hmm. it's that when people talk about authenticity that's really what we're talking about is you sharing you know how how you feel like you came to this that you were guided you know mm-hmm. um that it's a calling for you so i thought that was really um powerful and interesting and also your testimonials you have uh several video testimonials that are really good video testimonials um, from clients mm-hmm. and um, tell me about that. Tell me about that process because I know a lot of attorneys, not women law firm owners probably struggle with the idea of, you know, how can I ask my client to come on video and talk about their story and give a testimonial for me. But I think you've done that. You've done that really well. What was that like um, when you were going through that process? Like what are some of the ways that you handled that? Sure. Um, and thank you for all the you know, sweet comments about um, my video, for sure. And the um, the testimonial videos are a little more difficult to ask for, obviously, um, in mm-hmm. family law in particular, because you're asking them to talk about a very personal story um, where the other side may very well see what they're saying. Um, mm-hmm. And so we want to keep it as positive um, and as focused on the experience with the firm versus, you know, kind of the outcome of their case or um, their opinion of the other side. Um, And so when we were sitting down and talking about it as a firm of who we would select and ask to do that, we talked about, you know, people who had really great kind of comeback stories or who um, their case started in one direction and, um, you know, where things were not necessarily so positive in their direction. And it ended up that we were able to accomplish great things for them. Um, and we wanted people who would focus on, you know, that positive turning point in their lives, as well as um, kind of the just positives in general of working with the firm. So anyone who, when we worked with them, was more of a scorched earth kind of policy client who really just wanted to see the other side burn, you know, that, that person was not going to be a good fit for our testimonials. We were looking for just the people that we selected. Um, and those people were very positive people. And people who are willing to, you know, keep the testimonial to talking about positive experiences and and not focusing on the negatives of family law or the negatives of, um, 
you know, what, what went on with their former spouse or the other parties in the case. Um, you know, we would allow them to talk about that on video, but then we'd have to edit some of that out. You know, if they had a, a negative experience with their spouse, um, we would take that out and just let them know that that's exactly what we were doing, that we appreciated they wanted to vent, you know, a little bit, but that this was not the forum, you know, for that. Um, but what right. we found is that the clients that we selected um, and that we asked were all 100% on board with getting it done. I mean, they were I'm excited to have the opportunity to share. They are some of our biggest, you know, cheerleaders and champions in the community. They're the people that when we get a phone call from somebody and saying, hey, so-and-so referred me to you, it's those people who are on those videos. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had a, a positive experience with our firm. They've told other people about it. And, you know, they've done us the biggest thing that they, the biggest favor they could have done, which is, you know, put their face in their you know, their thoughts on video for us um, so that we can share those with the world. So, and that's been a really neat experience. I love the way we actually stage those, um, you know, where we come in and they, you know, they give their testimonial and then I come in and see them or the lawyer they worked with comes in and sees them near the end of that testimonial. And they record some of that as well, because it's fun to see our clients when the case is over and they've got this new life that we've helped them, you know, work toward. I mean, getting to see the positive results of that at the end are really, you know, really great for us. It's a, it's a mood booster for us as much as it is a marketing piece. So, right, right. And what was striking too is the a wide range of and diversity of your clients, and mm-hmm. not only, you know, their, you know, typical things we sort of think of when we think of diversity, or race, or ethnicity, or gender, or whatever, but. You also, you work with same-sex couples, you work on surrogacy, you work adoption, you do. Mm -hmm. So there's a real variety there of the kind of testimonials that you have. And, you know, you had some grand grandparent or grand great aunt, you know, telling a story and all kinds of different stories from all kinds of different kind of people in your community. I'm assuming that was intentional when you, when you set out to do that. Did you say, you know, we really want to show, you know, just not people in their 40s and 50s getting divorced. You know, we want to show a variety right. of different matters and different kinds of people from different walks of life. Was that an intentional thing? Sure. Yes. Yeah. We, um, you know, first we wanted to just, like I said, look for people who had really positive experiences and stories that we wanted to share. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not um, we're not apologetic about our, you know, our faith background in our firm. And so we felt like it was important that we show that we reach out to all segments of the population and all segments of our community, whether that's same-sex couples, African-American couples, didn't matter. Didn't matter what your race, sex, gender, um, or your um, preferences from a religious standpoint or um, from a same-sex or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. different sex coupling, you know, it doesn't matter. We're here to help all people. Um, And so we wanted to make sure um, that we, you know, we did that. We got some pushback um, from some people um, in the community about having a same-sex couple on our testimonial videos. But the positive that's come from that versus a few negative naysayers um, out there, just the positive outweighed the negative in that regard. Because that 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 particular couple is one of my very favorite stories um, of adoption that we've had the opportunity to to do because it came, you know, kind of on the heel. Well, it actually came right before. Alabama actually recognized same-sex marriages um, and same-sex, you know, adoptions. So, I mean, when they started the process, 
I don't even think their marriage was going to be recognized, you know, much less, you know, the, the second parent kind of adoption process. And right. so somewhere along the way, you know, the law changed and it was just this, cause we were thinking, you know, how are we going to tie this up in a bow at the end? Because we're kind of, you know, we're kind of held back by what our law says. And then ultimately we were able to make all of that happen, you know, for them as a couple. And so that was really mm-hmm. great. So, you know, as much as it's intentional that choosing different kinds of, law necessarily it was also intentional in trying to choose those stories that would kind of reach out to a broad segment of our community right shifting gears a little bit you also but still talking about marketing you also have a podcast so what made you decide to do a podcast tell us a little bit about it Sure. So when we started the podcast, it started um, based on our radio shows. So we were on the radio with a local um, talk radio um, station um, Mm -hmm. in our area. And so we started with just doing those as regular radio shows. We would record them, but we really didn't do anything with them. Um, And then over time, we decided to take the the content and translate it into a podcast. Um, And Mm -hmm. then we did the same thing with our videos, is that we translate that content into um, you know podcast material so that was the idea was that some people like to listen and some people like to watch you know I'm I'm personally a listener um, I mm-hmm. love podcasts I will listen to them all day long I'm not a huge fan of watching videos um, you know I want right. to listen to my podcast while I'm on the elliptical or while I'm driving down the road um, but I may not always have time to sit and watch a video um, the right. same holds true, I think, for clients and family law. They may be able to, you know, put those headphones on and, you know, go for a walk and listen to a podcast, but they really don't want to pull up that video on their phone and or on their computer and have their spouse realize that they're looking at that kind of material. So it's a little easier to um, slip in as a podcast in family law um, than it is to hide, you know, what you're watching on YouTube or on, right. on the internet in general. So. It allows us to reach both sides, those who like to watch the videos and those who like to you know, listen to the audio side of things. Right, right. And have you noticed since you've kind of, you know, you said it's been a few years since you've been doing the videos and mm-hmm. then you're doing the podcast. Have you noticed a an impact on the bottom line since you started doing more of that kind of thing? I think so. I mean, I well, I don't just think so. I know. So we've doubled the size of our firm from 2016 to the end of 2019. And obviously well, 2020 is going to be its own. You know, we'll see what happens with that. It's been, we've been very busy. So we've been blessed in that regard too. We only really saw a slowdown for a few weeks, but we've doubled the size of the firm. And you know, 2017 was not our best year. You know, so 2016 was okay. 2017 was kind of, you know, eh, not so great. Um, and we started doing, you know, the videos in 2018, I believe. And from that point to today is really where that growth has come from. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, we saw some growth with the, the radio shows being translated into podcasts, but really more from the video content being translated into podcasts. And so I think that comes from, you know, the radio show had a different purpose and a different reasoning behind why we were doing it. Versus the videos, the videos being more, you know, frequently asked questions kind of videos that clients can go in there and and get an answer to, you know, how is child custody generally determined in Alabama? Mm-hmm. And so versus, you know, us talking about visitation schedules during the holidays or me talking with a real estate agent about how to sell your house during um, a divorce. They're just different, different kinds of information in a different format. And so I think the, you know, once we started doing these shorter 
um, podcasts that are more around our um, video content, mm-hmm. um, that has been more successful for us. So, you know, 2018, the beginning of 2018 and the end of 2019 um, has really been our biggest, you know, growth period in that, in that regard. Right, right. And, you know, I think, you know, some law firm owners may have fear around uh, creating content for a couple of reasons. One is that um, they're worried that they're going to give away the farm, you know, that they're going to, by sharing all of their, you know, the knowledge about how, how to get a divorce or, you know, whatever, that people are going to say, well, I'll just do this myself. Have you found that to be the case? No, um, I, that is not at all <laughs> the case. I feel like it, you know, there's a certain degree of what you think you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. And then there's what's real life, you know, um, and really walking into a courtroom. It, it's an intimidating experience. Like I've had right. to testify as guardian at Lottom, um in cases. And when my husband's case went back to court with his ex-wife, I was you know, prepared you know, by his lawyer to testify on the witness stand. And, and that's a terrifying experience. Even, you know, I like being in control of the questions I'm asking, not being asked questions. And so, you know, I think clients listen to the information and it gives them some background. So when they come in, they do sometimes look at me and go, well, now Amber, in your video, you talked about such and such. And that's really where I'm going to start the conversation today. So I do have those kind of clients who have gathered that information and they've written their questions but not a one of them have ever said, you know what, I listened to that video and I thought I was ready to just go and you know, battle this out on my own. Um, yeah. I think if anything, it teaches them there's way more to this than what you might think. You know, so when we're talking about child support, it's not simply, hey, give me your W-2 and let's go calculate some child support. There's so many other things that go into that. So I think we give enough information to help them have some background. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly not enough for them to go and battle it out in the courtroom on their own. Um, right. and so I don't, you know, I just, I think most people are that have that fear. I mean, I get it. I've had that fear in the past too. It's just mm-hmm. not, it doesn't translate into real life. So. Right. Right. I, I think it's kind of like when, you, you know, the, the spraying with a fire hose, <laughs> you know, yeah. like be careful what you ask for. You want information on uh, how to get a divorce. Here you go. Here's all of it. Right. And then people right. look at it and go, whoa, this is way too much for me. Can you just handle it for me? Right. Um, right. Exactly. You're, you're the, I think the other kind of fear that comes up for a lot of women law firm owners I talk to is, or in, like intimidation kind of feeling is like, how, how am I going to create this content? And then technically, how does it all sort of get published and whatnot? I'm assuming you have, a team, you have some marketers who are helping you right. design the website and make sure the podcast, you know, the videos get edited and the podcast mm-hmm. gets distributed and things like that. Correct. Right. I mean, they come in. Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. And they come in and uh, film you or do you ever do any yourself just with your camera flipped on? I um, I've done a few of just, you know, with my camera. Now what I've done a lot with just my own camera is like case updates. You know, mm-hmm. I'll sit there with my case status sheet and I'll say, you know, my husband helps me push the button. You know, so I'm not a, I'm not super tech savvy, believe it or not. So he sets up my you know, ring light in my phone and, and I'll do quick case updates and video and send them out um, to clients because they tend to like that. It's like, hey, just had a few minutes. I want to talk to you just real quick about what's been going on with your case this month because 
a lot of times cases can drag. So when I do my own videos, it's more that kind of thing where I'm yeah. um, recording just quick case updates. When it's time yeah, to I, do professional looking video, I, I bring uh, in a team to do that. Right, right. We want we want to make sure we're looking our best on um, those videos right. that are going to be living right. out there forever, right? Um, right. Uh, I love what you said about the um, case updates for clients with video, mm-hmm. because I think, you know, especially we're recording this at the time of the pandemic and a lot of people have been quarantined. A lot of people had to work virtually for a while with social distancing. And and so I think more and more uh, attorneys are starting to see, you know, hey, how look how easy it is to use video and what else mm-hmm. can I do with it? And that example yeah. you gave, I think it's just a great example of, uh, a way to communicate much more quickly without getting kind of stuck on the phone with somebody, right? Right, right. To me, it's a customer service feature, you know, because yes. we could do quick five-minute phone calls, but that you and I both know those phone calls are never five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But you want clients to know that you care about them, especially in those months when there's nothing going on in their case, and you know, deep down, they're at home wondering, what the heck is my lawyer doing? You know, because my case has been hanging out here for three or four months when it's really nothing you can do. You're waiting on the court or you're waiting on mediation to come up or whatever. And mm-hmm. just having that opportunity to talk to your client almost face to face, you know, they're, they're seeing you in the video and mm-hmm. you're just telling them everything's okay. You know, but right now I know you haven't seen, you know, the mediator yet, or we haven't been to court yet, but this is what we're doing on your case right now. There's nothing huge that we need you to be worried about. We just want you to focus on you and your self-care and your plans for after this case is over, whatever that may be. And so the first time we did that, it's after I'd had jaw surgery and I had been out of the office for six weeks and none of my clients could talk to me. They had talked to my staff members and such, but they hadn't seen me or talked to me. And so it was important for me to get on that video camera um, and Uh let them see that I was okay, that I didn't look like, you know, a huge pumpkin anymore, you know, that I was all right and that, you know, I was back in the office and things were, you know, trucking right along with their cases. And mm-hmm. so we had a lot of positive reaction to that. And that's, you know, so that's something we've decided to keep, you know, doing for clients or just these quick little video updates. Right, right. So what are some other uh, systems that you think that you've used in your firm that you've grown into over the years that really may have changed your firm and elevated it and allowed you to double it in just a few years. Sure. So we've hung on to the idea of having CRM software, customer relations management software. Uh-huh. Um, that was introduced to me probably back around 2014. Um, and we originally used an outside firm to do that for us. Um, and it's just a follow-up system, really. It's a drip campaign kind of thing. So when a client calls in or a potential client calls in, um, if they don't schedule um, a consult, they still get a series of emails after just letting them know that we're thinking about them um, and giving them some more free information about whatever you know, area of the law they call about, whether it's adoption or a custody mm-hmm. modification or a divorce. Um, and then, you know, if they do come in, but they don't hire right away, that system follows up with them for some time. I um, mean, so I think that kind of system, um, because it's hard as lawyers, if you're trying to balance a caseload and managing your firm and being a parent and doing all these other roles that you have in your life for you to continually follow up with the people you've met with over the last six weeks. Um, Uh And this just becomes an automated thing. You know, and we, like I said, we used an outside firm to do that for a period of time. I mean, we brought that in-house this year 
and have mm-hmm. started bikes we brought in in 2019 um, and started you know building out our own drip campaigns within um, a program called Law Ruler. Um, and so we use that, um, and it, you know, once a client, a, a potential becomes a client, they move that information gets moved over to our practice management software, um, and so that keep you know, allows us to continue on that path. Um, I'm big on newsletters. I know some people say that that's kind of you know dead and gone, but I still think a newsletter every you know month or six weeks um, has been really helpful for us. Um, are you talking about a, are you talking about one you mail or one you email? When I email now, we were doing email yeah. and paper um, and oh. found that the, the ROI and the paper version was not necessarily um, as good as just right. getting people to open up their email, particularly during this time we've had, you know, social distancing and um, mm-hmm. we're not really able to see each other or see clients in the office. Um, we've been doing them more often as, you know, Alabama COVID-19 updates, you know, what's open, what's not open, um, right. when courts are going to be back open. Um, and just you know how we're handling it, how our firm has pivoted, um, the ways that clients can still reach us, um, and so those have been open more um, during this time than any other time you know in our history. So it's been interesting to watch those statistics. People right now are online more; they're actually reading the newsletters you send them. Um, mm-hmm. They're looking for content online. So anything you can do now to be online and to be as in, as much in front of your clients as you can, um, I think is super helpful. So to me, that, that other, you know, the top of other systems. So having the CRM software that follows up with clients, um, having a newsletter that kind of follows up with clients and keeps you top of mind even after their case is over, um, those things have been super helpful for us. Mm-hmm. What do you think some of your biggest challenges have been through the years? in growing your firm and how did you overcome them? Um, so you know, there have been several, I think, along the way. I think, you know, losing my parents, you know, as part of um, in the last 13 years. Um, I've lost mm-hmm. two brothers in the last 13 years. So, you know, kind of the losses in your family that you struggle with or health mm-hmm. issues, you know, when I had to have surgery, kind of balancing my health and my family life with my law firm has been a challenge at times. Um, and so one of those things that I wish, you know, when I started my law firm, the idea was that I would have all this extra time on my hands and I, you know, um, and what it turns out is when you're running a business, you're doing a lot of, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of my challenges have been in trying to figure out how to kind of carve out, time to really be a good business owner, to be a good leader, um, to mm-hmm. be a good lawyer, to be a good, you know, wearing all those hats and doing a really good job at it. So mm-hmm. how I handled a lot of that was realizing what my strengths were um, and what my weaknesses were and being willing to hire people to fill in my weaknesses. So I don't need to answer my own phone. I don't need to build my own CRM. I don't need to record my own videos. You know, I need to have team behind me and then being able to lead that team well. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to learn how to delegate. I had to learn, you know, what I call, and that's not my words, it's somebody else's that gave them to me somewhere along the way, which was, um, you know, love, hate, and delegate. You know, what did, you, what did I love to do? What did I hate doing? Um, and what could I, you know, delegate doing? Um, and, you know, trying to figure out how to balance life. So most mm-hmm. recently what I did is we hired our um of our newest associate. I hate calling her an associate. She's been practicing law longer than I have, but 
Um, I don't have partners in my firm. I'm, I'm the only owner. So I just call her our senior attorney or senior litigation attorney. I hired, um, I finally gave in and hired someone who I felt like in the courtroom was better than I was um, and handed off my caseload and said, right now, you know, at the beginning of this year, when we saw that COVID-19 may very well impact our firm in a mm-hmm. negative way and we, were, we could possibly need to pivot um, in a very serious way, I handed off my caseload. I mean, did that in a, a way that clients knew they were being taken care of. Um, and I have been focusing almost 100% on running the law firm um, for the past two months. And so that, you know, ultimately we didn't, we didn't need to pivot nearly as hard as I was anticipating we would need to. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think as a, a business owner, one of the biggest challenges you have to overcome is being willing to hire people that are better than you. And mm-hmm. things, um, whether it's administrative or practicing law sometimes, whether it be, you know, being a trial lawyer, um, you know, sometimes you need to hire somebody who's an even better trial lawyer than you are. So you know that you can do the things in your firm you need to. Um, one of the other challenges, like I said earlier, is about leadership. Um, I grew the firm from the time I realized it was a business in 2012 um, to 2016 in a fairly exponential way. Um mm-hmm. I think we more than doubled between 16 and uh, between 12 and 16 and 16 mm-hmm. to 19, we doubled again. But um, in 2016, my firm split. Um, so we had four lawyers at that time and three of them you know, wanted to be partners in the firm. And I said, I don't need and or want partners. That's not kind of the model that I'm going on. I will you know, do a lot of other things for you, but that's just not, you know, I have this plan and I, I intend to execute it. Um, and so they left. And so I was left by myself, um, again, mm-hmm. starting over. Um, and so the challenge was, well, where did I go wrong in that conversation? You know, where did, in those relationships, where did I not lead well? Where did I not communicate well? Um, and right. so at that time, I was working with um, a particular coach, and I decided to leave that coaching program to work with someone who was more focused on leadership, culture, and building teams. Um, and mm-hmm. so I got that input, you know, um, saw where I was making my mistakes and where I could do better. Um, and so from 2016 to today, you know, we've added four lawyers to the firm and grew the staff um, a lot um, and brought my husband in off his, you know, full-time job he'd had for 26 years and brought him into the firm as our COO and CFO. So um, we went from having kind of a safety net to now not having one, which is fine. Um, we've been blessed, like I said, but, you know, it's given me that opportunity to, you know, in that time, in that growth, while still growing really fast, to be mm-hmm. able to really focus on culture and really focus on leadership. And so, you know, one of my, if, if you ask me, what is the greatest accolade you ever received? I'm going to tell you that it's that we've been on the best places to work list for the last, I think it's three years. So two years, we, we won bronze one year and silver one year and um, the award ceremony um, is coming up um, virtually um, in June this year, but we're again a finalist for the best places of work, to work. So we went from having a culture that, although successful, was not as you know healthy and holistic and happy as it could be, to being a place where my employees um, and my team have said that we're one of the best places to work. And mm-hmm. to me, that's like there's no higher accolade you know than that. Right. Um, that your team thinks that you um, lead them well, and so. You know, the challenge of you know, losing you know, three quarters of the lawyers in your firm to rebuilding and being where you are, the only way that I could do that is through, you know, really diligently working on our leadership and our culture. 
um, in our firm and just having very, you know, radically um, honest conversations about my goals and expectations for the firm. And so that just, mm. it was a shift, you know, and all of that though comes from, you know, having been involved with a coach all the way through, you know, so that's, you know, one of the best things I've ever done for my firm is made sure I've had a coach since 2012. Right, right. That I was going to ask you uh, about that because mm-hmm. um, a lot of usually when I'm doing these interviews, I can always tell who's worked with coaches and who hasn't worked with coaches because <laughs> of their journey and mm-hmm. uh, being, you know, being a coach myself. And I, I, I'm able to right. see that. Right. So I look at the the journey and I can tell there's a moment. There's a moment when you make a decision to reach out for help and say, look, I'm, I've been trained as a lawyer, but I haven't been trained as a business owner. And what, you know, I I really need some support here. And to be able to say, um, it's, it's important to make that investment. It's important to be curious and ask these questions and get somebody to help me figure these things out. And also, um, uh, your experience like mine is I've worked with more than one coach because you may right. work for a while with one coach and then say, you know, I now I'm facing this challenge. And um, while this coach has been great, I want to learn something from somebody else in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I find that really interesting. And I could tell that's really been reflected in your in your law firm success. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows that you've been putting that work in working on your business, not just in your business. Exactly. No, it's been, you know, like you said, there's different coaches for different seasons of life. So Mm -hmm. when I first started working with the coach, it was, oh my gosh, I have all this work and I don't know really how to hire somebody and I don't have any systems in place. You know, so it was starting to see my firm as a business and hiring a coach who could help me with policy systems procedures, you know, and understanding the different parts of a law firm. And then mm. over time, that changed. So, okay, I understand the parts of the law firm and I understand how systems need to grow and change and develop over time. But I'm a really crappy leader at the moment and I need to be a better human, you know, and I need to be a better leader um, of my team. Um, so I got the mechanics down, but now I need to be a good leader. And so then I worked with a coach who helped me with culture and leadership. And then mm. most recently, it's been, you know, I've, I'm now getting older. Um, don't really want to say how old, but I've got kids in college, you know, so life mm-hmm. is, is shifting and changing and you start trying, you start losing some of you know yourself and who you are and, and that kind of high performing um, person that you felt like you have been for years. Now you need something interjected there. Um, and so that's been my most recent journey is working with someone on my own performance um, as a person and, and my own happiness and kind of my goals of you know, what is it maybe that I want to build outside of the law firm, um, you know, getting mm-hmm. my health in order, I um, mean, those kind of things. So that's right. been my most, you know, recent focus in coaching is on, you know, what, what they call high performance coaching. So that's been right. kind of my more recent journey. But, you know, over time, that could change again. It could, you know, it just depends on what you need at a given point in time. And so I, you know, right. I think working with a coach is just vitally important, particularly for women entrepreneurs right. who, um, and lawyers, business owners, and that's you know how we have to see ourselves as entrepreneurs and business owners, because we don't necessarily always take time for ourselves. We don't invest in ourselves like we should, um, and so I think that you know coaching is an incredibly important part of being successful as a woman entrepreneur. Right, right, and you know you you brought up something you said about how there are different coaches for just different seasons, and um, one of the things that I've I've witnessed is that 
you and experience myself is that you have you're on a you're on a journey as an entrepreneur, just like you're on your journey as a lawyer and a journey in your life, right? And and at some point at the beginning, when you were first trying to sort of sort out business skills that you needed, like systems and how to hire people and stuff like that, at that point you weren't the leader. I mean, you weren't that wasn't the place for you to learn leadership yet because there was foundational work that needed to be done, right? So like right. you evolved and you grew to as far as you could go in, in something. And then there was a catalyst that made you look at yourself. And so I think that's a very brave thing to do. I think it's a lot of, it's it's something that a, a lot of people are loath to do and struggle to do right. is stop and say, hey, you know, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. I mean, like, what can I do right. here? What is it that I'm doing that I can change? Because really that's the only person we can change is right. ourselves. So mm-hmm. this has been a wonderful, wonderful story for you to share with me today. Um, and before we wrap up here, could you tell me, like, what do you think if you were to, you know, talk with a woman law firm owner who's coming up behind you on the path and maybe at a different place than you are on the path, uh, aspiring to what you've created, what advice would you have for her? Sure. So, you know, that's a great a great question. I think it's an important question um, mm-hmm. to ask. And, you know, I think you know, there's a few things. I would tell her to make sure that you think about balance initially, because it's mm-hmm. really easy as, you know, as, like I said, a woman entrepreneur, which is what you are as a law firm owner. You are indeed mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. You may not see yourself that way, but you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to balance all the different hats you're trying to wear. Um, and you really need to understand you know, what your strengths and what your weaknesses are um, and what it is that you want from life. You know, what is life? What do you want it to look like? Um, what size firm do you really want? You know, how much income do you really need? Um, and really think about those, those facets of it. You know, um, look at your calendar and see where you're spending your time. You know, are there things that, you know, like when I had to hire my first staff person that you're doing that, you know, is really a, you know, say a $15 an hour job, but you're a $250 an hour lawyer, you know, where are Mm -hmm. you not making wise decisions, you know, as far as that goes? So think about balance and think about the different hats you wear. I would also tell her to, you know, think about you know, how, think about your own accomplishments, you know, look, when you feel like things have, you know, really suck, because there are going to be days that they do, you know, look back and see what you have accomplished, you know, you have indeed finished law school, that's not an easy task, you've passed the bar exam, you've opened your own business, and you've gotten to this point, now what are we going to do to get over this hump, you know, take, take some time to give yourself credit for what you have accomplished, don't always focus on the next thing that needs to be done, you know, along the journey, take the time to look back and say, wow, I really did something cool there. You know, I yeah. just, you know, when our accountant told us you know, a few weeks ago that, hey, you doubled the size of your law firm in, you know, in three years, I'm like, or four years, I'm like, I think it was three years, obviously, yeah, three years. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty <laughs> cool. But I kind of blew past that. You know, I didn't, in, in the moment when it was happening, I didn't see it or take time to recognize it. So, you know, as yeah. you're going on the journey, take time. Probably at least once a year would be great to just sit back and think about what you've accomplished and pat yourself on the back for a second, you know, because you deserve it. I think that's great. Yeah, that's great advice. That is great advice because too often 
we're so busy moving on to next that we don't stop and celebrate right. what in the moment, you know, what we're mm-hmm. what we've accomplished and what we've done. And, you know, we're always putting that pressure on ourselves to, especially high achieving women, always putting pressure on themselves right. to do more, be more, create more, you know, whatever right. it is, right? And to stop yeah. and just say, hey, look, I've I've already done these amazing things in mm-hmm. my life. Yeah. Yep. So and celebrate your wins for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So tell us how we can find out more about you. I know everybody's getting, now that we've, I've mentioned this website, I know everybody's going to be <laughs> going to your website. <laughs> so tell us where we can find sure. it. Sure. We are, if you look for me on the internet, you're going to look for um, newbeginningsfamilylaw.com. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram. And so those are the best places. There's YouTube videos, obviously. Um, we have the podcast that I believe you can find on iTunes um, mm-hmm. and Stitcher and those kind of places. So, you know, basically, if you just put a new beginning family law in Alabama, you're going to find us um, all over the place. And so, right. you, know, it's, you know, it's easy right. to find. Um, if you, if I can do anything to help any of you um, who are listening, please feel free to reach out to me and I will do my very best to talk and, and give you, you know, whatever bits of wisdom that I can. Great. Thank you so much for that offer. And I really have enjoyed our conversation today. So I appreciate it so much for you being here, Amber. Thank you so much, Vivian. I really, really appreciate having this opportunity to talk to you today. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.